author of Hidden History, Crimes and Cover-Ups in American Politics, 1776 to 1963, and Survival of the Richest, Donald Jeffries separates the real from the unreal. Fact from fiction. Fact from fiction. Reverse engineering our manufactured reality. And now, from just outside the swamp-infested Washington, D.C., this is I Protest with Donald Jeffries. And welcome to I Protest. This is Donald Jeffries here with you. Um, I guess today's so, uh, a very interesting uh, person, uh, Jamie Sell. Well, is an RN. She's a nurse, but she's much more than that. Uh, her life was changed dramatically uh, when her son was Austin T. Burke was uh, convicted of a, a crime. It seems uh, pretty obvious he didn't commit, and he faces, I guess, life in prison for that. She's also been involved with uh, the wrongful uh, conviction uh, support group on online. That's where I found her on Facebook, and she's with the Americans for Prosperity as well. So she's looking to try to expose injustice, especially in the uh, county where this took place, which was uh, Trumbull County, Ohio. So you can go to her website, TrumbullCountyIsCorrupt.com. Jamie, welcome to the show. Hi, how are you? Well, it's great to have you. And uh, again, I, I'm these cases really interest me because uh, I'm very interested in municipal corruption. And, and I, I hear from people all the time about their own cases. And of course, you know, nothing's more important to you than, you know, your son, your loved one getting. So that's, you may not, people may not have heard about it, but these, these things are happening all over the country. This kind of, uh, you know, Trumbull County is corrupt. You could probably say that about a lot of counties. And I, mm -hmm. I hear for, I hear about it all the time. So tell us again, what you, were you, before this happened to your son, first of all, tell us, tell us the story of what happened, when it happened and how that changed you politically or whatever. Were you any kind of an activist before then? Um, shamefully, I guess I would say no, I wasn't. I was, uh, you know, the typical, um, I, I, I assume I was like the typical mother, the working or career mother. I was uh, going to school for my master's degree. I was uh, working as a uh, registered nurse and um, I had other, I have other kids. Um, they were involved in uh, martial arts. They were involved in a lot of sports. Um, and uh, when this happened, it was right after I had gone through a divorce and we were already kind of um, re reeling from the after effects of this. And uh, to be truthfully honest with you, my uh, Austin had uh, just come out of uh, a stay in the juvenile justice center where he was, uh, you know, convicted of a crime he did commit. And uh, he admitted to his part in the crime and he did his time. He came out um, and he was signed up to go to school. Um, he was supposed to go to Cleveland for a gunsmithing uh, school. He uh, also was uh, looking to get his driver's license. He had just gotten his permit and we had you know, taken him to uh, go to interview for, you know, a number of jobs. And uh, at the time, he was just trying to uh, socialize with friends while he was waiting, uh, you know, to start school, you know, that fall. Right. So, um, so, yeah, so tell us, so what, when did this happen and how, and we'll get into the, because basically on the, on the, the uh, you, on the website, 
that you have your uh, destroyed evidence, yeah. evidence had vanished, fingerprints that excluded him, perjured testimonies by detective, jury misconduct, drugs addicted. I mean, jailhouse snitch. All these are familiar to me. I mean, it happened over and over yeah. again. But it's it's always great to hear hear a firsthand anecdote. So tell us what happened and how how he got ensnared. Do you think it was his juvenile record that just made them decide well we're going to convict yeah, this guy I, or, or what? The only, yeah, it took me years to to kind of process this, but this is like a, a learning, uh, you know, it, it's something that evolves over time because n- none of us like are schooled on these things, you know. And so uh, what happened is uh, June, uh, I want to say 13th, uh, 2017, what happened is there was like a social media blitz where they were looking for this young man named uh, Brandon Sample. And um there was uh, like an advertisement that was going around in all the groups, like the local community groups on Facebook that uh, had pictures of Brandon Sample and they were describing him and they were saying that the last person to see him alive or to see him not alive, because at this point we're still looking for, um, we're still looking for a missing person, what was my son and they were describing him. And so, um, this was, uh, you know, kind of alarming. And so I went, you know, obviously Austin was uh, notified by all of his friends also that this uh, was uh, going on. And he started getting like a barrage of uh, like friend requests and messages. Like it was just nonstop. And I'm talking like hundreds of people were, you know, uh, approaching him on Facebook, you know, about this missing uh, young man. And so Austin proceeded to tell me that the um, on the 11th, which uh, was a Sunday, um, our whole family had gone to Willow Lake, you know, my cousins, you know, all of my, you know, my sons. And this is a, a campground ground that has like an outdoor swimming pool. That's like the, I think it's like the largest in the United States or something, but uh, it's a nice place for people to uh, have picnics and to go with their families. And so uh, we, we, we spent the afternoon there. And after I had left um, Austin stayed back with some friends and he uh, was supposed to be picked up by a young lady. And what happened is he um, walks down the road a bit because the, the swimming pool closed, the area closed. And if you don't pay to camp, you can't stay. So he walks down the road a bit and he misses the young lady. But a car drives by and it's Brandon Sample. Brandon Sample recognized Austin because he had been a CO at that juvenile uh, detention facility that Austin had been at and they were friendly with each other. So Brandon stops and he's got a passenger in the car with him, a friend uh, named Josh White. They, they talk for a few moments. Um, he realizes that Austin's like ride isn't coming. Austin's phone's about to die. So he offers to give him a ride, drives him home. This was about eight, eight 30 at night. Um, drops him off in our driveway. Um, my youngest son, who was 15 at the time, saw him get dropped off. Um, and then, you know, of course, there was like the cell data stuff that showed that Austin's phone was pinging in our driveway at that time also. So it supported him getting dropped off. And uh, and and that's when he exchanges like um, he exchanges uh, his phone number with the kid in the driveway for the first time ever. They'd never had any communication before that by Facebook or any social media or any phone communication. 
Um, and that was verified by the cell site experts. So this young man leaves and he leaves with the friend that he was in the car with. And, uh, and Austin said that uh, he, you know, said, you know, maybe later on they catch up again or they get together. And Austin's like, sure, hit me up, you know. And, uh, and I think there were some text messages that were exchanged throughout the night. Um, but Austin never saw this young man again. And so the next morning he shows up and he's in, or the next morning, um, uh, Austin just gives up. Go. He was uh, at a, after he got home and dropped off by Brandon Sample, another friend of his that lived in the area. We lived in a rural area called Bristolville, Ohio. Um, his friend Cody and Connor Snyder, one of those boys picked him up. And so he spent some time at their house. And uh, it was not, it was nearby our house. It wasn't very far. And uh, so uh, Austin stays there. He communicates with Brandon, but he also communicates with, I don't even know how many other people he was texting and, and Snapchatting and, and uh, he was on all these different social media sites and he was socializing with many different people that night. So it wasn't just Brandon Sample. And uh, from what I understand from Cody and Connor's father, he uh, walked home about 2, uh, 2.30 ish in the morning. And I had come home from the bar that night with my boyfriend at probably around three and I saw Austin standing in the kitchen. And uh, so anyhow, this, this, it, it's determined on the 15th, which is a few days later, um, they found a body and it was in actually North Bloomfield, Ohio, which is just outside of Bristolville in an area that's uh, called Hatchetman Road. It's a, uh, one of those uh, urban myth legend type places where kids and uh, people go to party, I think back in the woods, it's kind of spooky. And um, so I guess that that's where they found this young man. And uh, so Austin ends up on the 20th, I want to say it was the 20th. So it was a full five or six days after they find the body that they end up charging uh Austin, they get a they get a grand jury subpoena, and uh, they charge Austin, and then he also gets tied up in a Pizza Joe's robbery that was in the area local to where he was found in this apartment, um, and they were pinging him and looking for him to pull him in on a warrant for the murder, and then there was a Pizza Joe's robbery that happened um, somewhere. Um, across the street or down the road or something um, just about an hour before they had uh, pinged Austin. Well, just, just to and, be clear, to be clear the, the, you mentioned two young guys' names. Is, is one of them ended up being the murder victim that he was talking to? Uh, Brandon Sample. Yeah, okay, the okay, one that okay. picked him up and gave him the ride. That was the kid okay. that died. Yeah. Okay, okay. That I'm was sorry, the body no. that was found. And um, so then... Uh, you know, at the police show up at the apartment and Austin is already, you have to understand the state of mind that he's in. You've got, I mean, every day since they put that social media post up saying that he was the last person to see Brandon Sample, people were nonstop uh, uh, on his phone um, messaging him, um, you know, harassing him, asking him questions about 
that night. And, you know, he kept telling people over and over again, whatever it was that he knew or he could remember. And, um, and he was, uh, he admitted to me in a text message that he was scared that he thought that people were after him or uh, wanted to kill him. Um, because I, I think it was already assumed because of the social media blitz that he was guilty um, without anybody even know what, knowing what actually happened. And so he, he got charged and, um, it wasn't really until the trial that me or him even knew what was actually going on in the case, because you're told by your attorney, um, first of all, you can't get bail to get out. Um, they, they put you, hold you on a million dollar bond and, you know, and then, so you're in jail for, he's, he was in jail for close to a year before it comes up to trial. And we're not allowed to talk over the phone about the case. So I'm out here. I, you know, the only help that I can give to him is to hire an attorney, but the attorney only gives us, gives me information like in little pieces. And um, so my hands were kind of tied to really help him and his hands were tied to help himself. He's got a, a stack of discovery and a jail cell, but he can't do anything with it. He can't go out and search for evidence, you know, to help himself. Um, you know, he's pretty much like a, a sitting duck. Now, you know, just, you're saying he has it now, like this, he's already gone. Now. To trial. He, he, yeah, so, so yeah. What, what so happened? We didn't this? really know, yeah, until trial what was actually going on. Okay, so but you, it, it's you didn't have a public defender, which happens, did you? And it happens in so many of these cases. No, he we started off with a public defender. Austin told me, he said, Mom, don't hire an attorney, just go ahead, use the public defender. He said, I'm not guilty. So um I, you know, he didn't want to burden the family with this. He knew how hard it was gonna hurt us. And yeah. uh so at first that's what I did. I went with the public defender. And uh one day I I went to one of his pretrials. And before the pretrial started, I heard another mother yelling to the same public defender that we had and saying, hey, how come you never answer my calls or my son's calls? And he shouted back and he said, well, if Trumbull County would quit playing games with me. Um, I'd be able to defend a case. And well, so yeah, when I'm, I'm, sure you, I'm sure you know that. I mean, I, I remember when I was writing Hidden History that um, the uh, I think the average public defender spends five to eight minutes with their client, unfortunately. So it's it's and it's and that's what well, that scared me. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah. Uh, before that, we we didn't know those realities. I mean, all, yeah. all we knew right. is what we're told in school and 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 growing up and what you see on TV. And so you're thinking that you can get an adequate defense. And uh, and so that day really scared the crap out of me. And I uh, talked to Austin and I said, look, buddy, I said, uh, I'm going to have to hire you an attorney. I, I don't really have a choice because it doesn't look like you're going to get adequate representation. And, uh, you know, we can't have any communication with the uh, public defender. And, um, you know, there was all these stories that were going through the newspapers and um, in, in social media. And we were being attacked. Like even at home, we were being attacked. My younger sons, um, we were getting, uh, you know, awful messages sent to us. And, uh, so that's what I did is I, I hired an attorney and uh, like I said, uh, he would only give me pieces of the information about the case as we were going because he said that if he gave me too much that I was going to, um, I, I, I might, you know, ruin it for him or something. And so well, I just, just so, trusted so him. So 
I mean, you know, you obviously know all the details, but just so the audience understands correctly. So you you have, and we if you watch these investigation discovery shows, which I watch all the time, just because there's maybe a, a book in my future about these kinds of cases where people are just convicted on the flimsiest evidence imaginable. There's no such thing as reasonable doubt in the minds of most jurors. But on those cases, they usually use the cell phone data to ping where they were. And you're saying- Oh, and let me tell you about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, talk about that because it seems like that would exonerate him. Um, It seems like it would. And so th th this is- um. The cell phone evidence was very confusing. Now, first of all, um, I, I did, my attorney and I did reach out to an expert. And what was happening at that time was I was working two jobs. I was a traveling nurse to pay this attorney. Um, so I'm paying him every extra. I mean, it wasn't even extra penny that I had. I lost my house because of this. So I was paying him money that I didn't have and Jeez. we couldn't afford it. I couldn't afford an expert. And so we uh, consulted an expert. He's supposed to be the grandfather of like uh, cell data triangulation. And he, you know, felt bad. He said he was getting ready to retire, but he would help us in any way that he could. And he taught us how to read the data. He told me that um, he would be able to write up a report that we could uh, take, you know, to trial for like $3,000, but even $3,000 was that, that might as well have been a million dollars to me at that time. Um, I, I still had, like I said, a, an underage son at home. I was a single mom. I was working two jobs. I was paying my attorney $500 a week. Um, and, and I still had bills and everything else. And that, that was lofty. It was really hard to pay that. And, um, so we asked for an expert at state's expense and the judge denied it and didn't really give a reason why he was supposed to have an indigency hearing. There was no indigency hearing. So we had to go into trial with no expert and the state had like unlimited money to spend uh, for whatever they wanted. And so what ends up happening with the cell data at, um, evidence, I, I ended up having to teach myself about this uh, technology. And uh, what it boils down to is there was no cell triangulation per se. They used what was called a NELOS report and an AU report. And this was all construct. They took um, information from AT&T, which was the cell carrier that my son had. He had a smartphone, but it was a prepaid smartphone because you know, he's over 18. And I thought, you know, eventually he could take over his own responsibility of a phone. So uh, anyhow, AT&T prepares what's called a historical precision location report. Okay. And so it gives you data um, that would go on a NELOS report, which would be what we would understand as a GPS. Okay. And then there's an AU report. There's data that can be pulled off of this AT&T uh, Documents. Jamie, if you could, Jamie, if I could interrupt okay. you for a second, I, I'm getting people. I, I guess they came in late or whatever. They want they they don't know what the discussion is about. Just to summarize real quickly, Jamie Sell's son, uh, Austin T. Burke, was convicted of murder, and it, the, the evidence against it is very dubious. And I, I wanted to talk to her because I'm, I'm very interested in what I call municipal corruption, local corruption, and I, it's happening all over. In this case, it's Trumbull County, Ohio. But I've heard from people around other places, too. This is happening to more people than Jamie's son. So this is about this particular case, William from Australia. And I'm thank you for listening from Australia. Uh, so just uh, I don't know if you guys have this problem there, but we have it here. So go ahead. I just wanted to mm -hmm. let them know. 
Okay, so the Nilos, uh, so the Nilos report that the Bureau of Criminal Investigation puts together is GPS data, and so you would have uh, what is uh, what we would know as latitude and longitude coordinates, and then there would be a statement next to the latitude and longitude coordinates that would tell you the accuracy with which. Um, this uh, location information would be. So if it gave you a latitude and longitude, and so for example, it gave you this address and it located you at an ice cream uh, stand in Champion, Ohio, okay? And it would say next to it, um, location accuracy within, you know, a thousand meters, or it would say within 600 meters. So, you know, obviously the lower the number of meters, the more accurate it's gonna be. And so you could presume that that person could be in a perimeter, like a round perimeter of uh, that number of meters, you know, from that location. So they'd be somewhere in that area. But the AU report, the AU report simply tells the cell carrier where, what tower picks up the signal from your cell phone, okay? So... Basically, your cell data, your signal can go through four or five towers. It doesn't have to be picked up by the first tower it's. And from what I understand from the cell uh, forensic cell experts I've spoken to, they can pick up a call or pick up a signal within a 50-mile radius. So that report just tells AT&T which cell tower picked up that call. So maybe it went through a couple towers. Maybe there was one that, uh, you know, wasn't functioning correctly, or there was one that was just too congested with, um, with, uh, call, you know, other signals, or, uh, maybe you're behind a wall and the signals not penetrating. So it's shooting another direction and it takes three towers before it gets somewhere. So, Basically, the AU report does not tell you where a person is unless that person is sitting under the cell tower that picked up the signal. So that's where it gets confusing. And what happened in this trial? And I'll tell you how I found this okay, information so out. Mm -hmm. So during the trial, they said yeah, they no, used. So, so basically, they, they, they uh they presented this information to the jury they presented the information to the jury they had this bci expert testify and and the weirdest thing is is that it, before he testifies he reads a disclaimer that he's not even supposed to be testifying in court to this information because it's not you know there there's that only at&t can come and actually um testify to this information and uh also he uh says that the accuracy of the information you know can't be assumed and so what he does is he goes through this long and arduous um explanation about nilo's reports and au reports and you know it's so boring and rough that even the person writing our book said that she had a really hard time getting through that testimony because it was so boring so anyhow it, it could lose the juror they could easily fall asleep or just gloss over everything because who could just sit and listen to that but anyhow, so they what they do is they put these maps up and they're like, okay, so based on this AU report and this Nilos report, which they don't really tell you which one is um, get, giving you uh, this location. They're saying that Austin was at all these places, you know, in Niles, Ohio, where the, the victim's car was dumped in Niles, Ohio. 
um, about, about, about a mile away from the people who accused my son and said they heard him admit to saying he did it. So it was hearsay to begin with. But um, anyhow, uh, what happened is I did a public records request of the prosecutor's file. And not a lot of people know that that is a, that's public record because I didn't even know that. It took a friend from Michigan to tell me that. So I... I did a public records request. I did a in-person review of the file. I got copies of everything that I wanted and I went home and I dug through these copies and I found a lot of very interesting things. And one of the interesting things that I found was a thank you letter from the prosecutor to BCI um, thanking them for tweaking the maps the first day of trial. And that alarmed me because I was like, you know, something told me in my gut that I needed to look at these maps. So I went back, I looked through all of the information I got out of the file and I found two sets of maps. I found a, a set that was from December and then I found a set that was from the first day of trial. And so the difference between these two sets of maps is that they took the GPS information out and they used the AU information that told you where a cell tower picked up a signal and tried to pretend that that was where the you know it was indicating where my son was located that day well this is, so this they is deceived all the jury mm -hmm. no no and i but i just want to because again your details are great and you're obviously very passionate about it but i just want to because again the, the audience is for some reason they're not understanding so uh basically tell us before we go into the details again the 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 bare bones thing is your son uh, is, is accused of a crime that you think he didn't commit. He says he didn't commit. The evidence certainly looks that way, but, and, and it didn't have adequate representation, which is, you know, a story I hear all the time, but, and the judge, you know, being tilting towards the prosecution again, this is common. What, um, tell us why exactly, what is the, what is the exonerating evidence? I'm, I'm confused about the cell phone. If the, if it would show, I mean, I don't know why, why couldn't they get AT&T just, why would that, I mean, Seems to be just you. You asked for the information. I don't know why you need an expert on that. But, well, uh, but before before you so so okay, he's he's got the cell. So it was he would the cell phone data show he couldn't have been in a position to commit the murder? And then you later you said you saw him when you came home at three in the morning or something. So how does that correspond to the time? What basically what is his alibi or exoner? What is the evidence that you think wasn't fairly presented in court that shows he couldn't have done it? Okay, so the, the experts did say in under cross-examination that Austin was never located near the body or the car that was dumped. Now, they were trying to say that Austin was in Niles, Ohio at about the time that I saw him sitting in my kitchen. If you look at the GPS evidence, the GPS evidence shown that he was at, like literally sitting in the same area for a period of about three and a half hours and it was near our home and not Niles, Ohio, and um, which it took me years to figure this out. And then um, there were videos that we found in the process. There was a video that we found in the prosecutor's file that we'd never seen before that shown that the theory of what happened in the murder was incorrect. Um, there was, he said that uh, Austin, uh, you know, tricked this guy into going to this hatchet man road, got him out of the car, told him to get down on his knees, 
shot him execution style from the back, said that there was no motive whatsoever. He just yeah. did it because he's an evil person and then drug him by himself over this little uh, hill or embankment and then drove his car all the way to Niles, Ohio, dumped it. And then they never said how he got back home. But I'm assuming that they're they're you know, uh, indicating that he walked all the way back home to Bristolville, Ohio, because, you know, nobody else was involved in this. He did this all by himself, blah, blah, blah. None of it made sense. And, uh, so what, uh, so this video that we find, uh, shows that, um, there were several people involved, there was cars involved and, uh, that the time of the murder was actually earlier in the morning than, uh, what the prosecutor was trying to lead the jury and the public into believing. Um, and there was another video from an ATM that we discovered from a different police department. They told us that they had turned it into the investigating police department. And somehow this, uh, this, um, video is missing and nobody wants to produce it. They're, they're trying to say they never saw it. They never knew nothing about it, you know, and it was from the back end of the bike path. And so there was basically a lot of people involved in this crime. And it was during the time that Austin was at home. Well, as, as an armchair attorney, it seems like it, it, it should have been easy, but it seems it should have been easy all, all these times. And I, I watched too many Perry Masons, mm -hmm. I guess, on television. But so what did your attorney do? I mean, with the stuff that you're doing, you're pointing out the holes in the in the prosecutions. Well, like I like I said during the trial, we did I did not have any of this information. I didn't even know what was going on in the case until trial. And yeah. the trauma of the whole thing would have prevented me from being able to really uh, be effective. Because like I said, we were basically getting lynched by the community. We had all these people that were saying nasty things about us to us, you know, yeah. and there was a lot of trauma that was associated with this, this whole, uh, you know, uh, circumstance as well. Some of the biggest things is the people who accused my son, they had injuries to their hands and their arms. My son didn't have any injuries at all. And uh, the, the one, uh, the best friend that was in the car with this young man that died, um, he gave two different stories about how he got these injuries. He gave one story in the detective's interview, and then he gave a whole different story at trial. And so we have new, we have new witnesses that came forward that said that the people who accused my son were actually the perpetrators, which would make sense because they're the ones who knew where the body was. They're the ones that told the detectives right. where to go find the body. And, um, but, but and this, so what they but, did, but this came, yeah, I'm sorry, but this, so this, a lot of this seems to have come this after all came trial, afterwards. So yeah. So during the trial, you said like your son has a, a bunch of discovery in the trial. Now, where was this discovery before? What was his attorney doing to get? I mean, what, what kind of defense did so, he put on? What, what, you know. I, so basically all of the discovery during the trial was with Austin in the jail and we couldn't talk over the jail phone because it would have compromised the case. So he's only 18 years old. I couldn't help him. I, I couldn't help him because I can't be in the cell with him. I can't talk to him over the, the phone about it because the attorney said, you know, don't don't talk about the case over the phone because it's going to compromise the case. So basically, um, you know, it, first of all, you know, pricing somebody out of being able to bail out of jail is a constitutional issue. You know, we, we have a constitutional amendment that that prevents, you know, or is supposed to prevent people from excessive bail. But one of the biggest uh 
problems with this is the fact that he couldn't even defend himself because he was sitting in jail. And not only does he have to sit there and go through this uh, discovery by himself at the ripe age of 18 years old, but then he's got all the problems that come along with being in jail and people wanting to steal from you and wanting to fight with you. And then all these little you know, mini dramas that are going on in the jail. And, um, so you have a huge disadvantage there. Then we had the disadvantage of the judge that wouldn't allow Austin to have an expert, which is a constitutional issue. Every person has a right to an expert and an investigator in their case. We didn't know this during this time. We found out afterwards. And, uh, and during the, the trial, I think that the lady writing our book, her name is Donna Waters, she said that the judge ruled for the prosecutor like some 90% of the time. So they were just yeah. denying every single motion, every objection that came our way. Um, and uh, the whole the whole thing is stacked against you. Uh, it, it would be, I don't even know how success, successful murder cases, like how people are acquitted, um, I, I'm not even sure how it's possible unless the people can get out on bail and they can have appropriate, uh, you know, legal representation. I, I, I just, I, I just mm-hmm. want to tell you from my own research, again, I may, I, I don't know if I'll ever write this book. I'm, I'm writing so many things and I don't know if I'll be, but and, and yeah. there's a book there and, and I don't know how many people would buy it. people like you, maybe that are victims of it. But I found that uh, in my view, juries seem to get it wrong. An overwhelming majority of the time, they convict a lot of people that are very dubious, very dubious evidence. There's reasonable doubt. But once in a while, you'll get this wild card where they'll let somebody go. And you think, wait a minute, there's there seems to be more evidence against this guy than the 100 they let go. So (laughs) I I don't know. I don't know how that works either. It's kind of like the luck of the draw, I think. But I mean, this. It's and unfortunately, I'm I'm so sorry your son's in that situation. But it's uh, so I, you say he's got discovery in his his cell now. So is it, well, is no, it, he he did he did during trial, but there was nothing he could do with it. He couldn't right, go well, investigate anything. Right, well, <laughs> right, and and it's, and what was his lawyer doing? What, what why wasn't his lawyer acting on the discovery? Uh, so his lawyer said that he was investigating everything and it did appear the lawyer did bring up a lot of good stuff during trial. I'm not going to say that he didn't, but the fact that the prosecution was hiding certain things and doing unfair things like using an AU data to try to tell the community that Austin was in places he wasn't, that was deceptive. Like that's just a flat out lie. And, um, not, uh, I wanted to say something else. The kids that were testifying against Austin, they were incredibly lacking. They all had different stories. None of their testimonies matched each other. The whole thing looked like a circus. Yeah. Me and all of my friends thought for sure he was going to win. Number one, the fingerprints that they that they got off of this gun didn't even match Austin. He was not a major or a minor contributor. And they said they belonged to a third party unknown male. Okay. There was no bullet evidence. There was no gun for the murder. There was no fragments, no bullet fragments. And as a matter of fact, they got the coroner on the day of trial to make a whole different determination about what happened to the deceased um, than he had in his uh, original autopsy report. And so that what he says is, 
oh, I found this other entry wound near the neck that's that that coincidentally matches one of the accusers testimonies. OK, but there's no exit wound. So you've got a body with no bullet in it whatsoever because they did x-rays. There's no bullet at the scene, but you've got two entry wounds. Where'd the bullet go? Yeah, exactly. And and no and no motive. That's you ridiculous. They, 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 your your son didn't this is the first time he met the guy, right? He didn't know him prior to that. Uh no, they, he they did said, know him prior, but they were friends. Okay. That's okay, why the guy stopped to pick him up. Yeah, yeah. Okay. They were but friends. They didn't even try to produce a motive. So I mean there's but that that's something that you know people don't know that they don't a lot of times they say they don't have to, which is ridiculous, I think. But we have the people that are, are obviously uh, responding to your story. Uh, uh, I live in Virginia as well. And my, my friend Vince Agnelli says here in Virginia, they actually have a contract with states. They have to have a certain amount of occupancy or they close the prison. And that's true. Most of these contracts, especially the private prisons, are based on no occupancy rates. So if the crime rate did go down, uh, <laughs> I don't know what we, the tax right. rate so that the foot the difference, yeah. And, and, and so, says, as it, you see on the screen, that they don't like to equip people that would make mistakes. They don't want to admit right. mistakes, and I think, unfortunately, your son got trapped. They don't want to admit they're wrong from the police up to the prosecution. Well, especially when they intentionally concealed things and they lied about certain things, because after you watch this video, you can see that the prosecutor completely lied to the jury about the about the events that surrounded this young man's murder and, and his car being dumped. And uh, where, where and is this video? Can process. people watch this? Where is this video? Can um, people watch it? Well, because of the fact that we are still... This is kind of new. It's, oh, this is like a I, I don't know okay, if it's okay. really new evidence or not, because really the the attorney and the prosecutor both had the video. The attorney said, oh, well, we couldn't make out any faces or any license plates. So we just decided that, that it wasn't useful. Me and Austin never got the opportunity to view this uh, this video. It basically what this video does is it establishes a time frame, number one, of of when the young man's car got dumped. And it also shows that there were several people involved, which completely undermines the whole prosecutor's theory. Um, not only that, but at the appellate process, that that's even just as uh, arduous as the the, the trial. So, you know, you, we've got this new evidence. We have these new witnesses. We have all these affidavits. Um, we have, uh, okay. So the, the girls that were robbed at the pizza Joe's, they described a mixed race male and my son's white. And so there's this young man who was at the apartment at the party with my son. And there was lots and lots of people there. They were anywhere from teenage on up to young 20s. OK. And this young man who was a mixed race male messages me after the trial, apologizes to me, tells me that the girl that was renting the apartment was lying, which I already knew she was lying. And then says that him and her and her boyfriend were supposed to split that money three ways. So, um. I mean, why didn't they investigate this young man who matched the description of the robber from the girls who were robbed? 
you know, instead they just, uh, you know, yeah, it doesn't make sense. Well, what they wanted to do is they had no evidence for this murder. And so they wanted to use all these extraneous circumstances to try to make it look like he would do it or to create feelings in people so that they would want to believe that, yes, he committed this murder. Because I, I, I truly believe that these trials are based on who, who, makes the best show and yeah. who gets the jury to feel a certain way. That's well, what it's all based was, the, the point was made, the, the, the police uh, uh, always, they, for whatever, gravitate towards a suspect. They don't want to admit they're wrong. And then once that suspect is, is charged, the prosecutions, because we had this system that's very competitive and uh, prosecutors, they all want to rise up in the system and they want to get convictions. They don't care about justice. Right. So the whole thing, the whole and and unless you have money, you can't hire a real defense. And you, you unfortunately, you see, there's so many incompetent attorneys. They're they're not, you know, you watch Perry Mason and you think, wow, that's how it's supposed to work. But there's so uh, few of yeah. those guys. And my, well, my friend Lisa Belanger was named in here. Yeah, there's uh, I, I know attorneys, and it's just I'm I'm just so so like White Wolf points out the fingerprints alone should have had the case tossed. I mean, if you have different fingerprints on the gun, if they don't belong to the victim. And they don't belong to your son. Wouldn't they have tried to find out who they belong to? Because wouldn't that point yeah. toward me? Why were they holding the gun? But did they do right. that? So none of the evidence. Okay. So none of the evidence in the robbery actually implicated Austin, except for the fact that the gun that they recovered, which was after the police were done with their two days of search in the apartment, after they, they're gone and they're like, okay, we're done with the search. They leave. All of a sudden, the girl who's running the apartment's mother calls the police and says, come back, come back. We found something. Well, this gun is produced and uh, money, but the money is not the amount that was missing from the Pizza Joe's. It was missing like 200 bucks. Um, I think the amount that was missing was 757 and they recovered like 200 or um, 557 or something like that. And so they come back and they they didn't even offer up the money. The money was in a plastic bag in a hair dye box in the girl who was renting the apartment's hand. And the police said, what's that in your hand? Takes the bag out of her hand, searches it and finds the money. So, and then this gun, you know, the mother says, you know, she found it in a vase there, you know, blah, blah, blah. And so they turn it in kind of after the fact, the gun was registered to me. So um, it was registered to me but the fingerprints that were on the gun did not belong to austin so that was probably the only thing the only thing that could uh you know that they could say that could look you know somewhat like uh uh, you know, that would be for the states, uh, you know, to support what they're saying would be that, but nothing else. There was nothing else that supported it. And there's lots of explanations for, you well, know, so why that could have been there. Well, what, well, what, Especially where since, does the case since stand he felt like, we're in the federal courts well, right you, now, the habeas. So you, because you, you have on the website, you, you said the jury, uh, what, what did the jury do that you felt was improper? And they obviously they convicted him on, was it first degree murder? And they, they said, or what, what was the, that he was convicted? No, on? aggravated. He was okay. saying he was convicted see- of aggravated murder, even though they never found a murder weapon. Um, 
They never found any of uh, the murder victims items that belonged to him, his cell phone, wallet, keys, anything like that. But they convicted Austin of stealing these items, even though they were never recovered. Um, so he, he basically has been sentenced to 48 years in prison. And um, the first question that you asked about the jury tampering. So there was a juror who during the process of uh, picking juries, she lied and said that she didn't know our family. And here she had been my younger son's driving school instruction during the time that this, uh, that, that this was all going on. As a matter of fact, not only was she his driving school instructor, she came to our house picked him up from our home and dropped him off. So she recognized, knew our home. And she talked to my son for about three hours about the case um, right after Austin had been arrested. And so she completely lied. I was not there during the first day during Vore Dyer. So I didn't see her or know who she was because I had to work that day. Um, and my youngest son we, we had to sit way in the far away, the furthest point away from the jury that you could. And my son didn't have his glasses on. So he didn't recognize her until the last day of trial. And that's when we went to the attorney and we said, hey, that woman that's on the jury, we know her, you know, and she also um, her boss had been a roommate with my boyfriend at the time um, a long time ago. And they had a falling out. So mm -hmm. she had probably reason to, you know, want to get, you know, that, I don't know, they yeah. didn't like the guy that I was dating at the time. So anyhow, right. um, we go to the attorney, we say this and he said, oh, it's too late because they're coming back with the verdict. And he says nothing. He tells nobody nothing. And, and we're like, okay, so when can we testify? Nobody testified, not, not a single alibi, nothing, because the attorney said there's no case. They said, there's no case, so we don't need any witnesses to testify. So Austin didn't have a single person testify for him. Uh, do, do you see the question on screen? Can, can, you asked, did they do a gun on, on your son? No, they did nothing. No, no residue. To, there, there was nothing. There was nobody that was shot. Um, the, the gun that they found in relation to the Pizza Joe's robbery, no, nobody was shot in that robbery. And uh, there was no gun that was associated with the murder. And what they did is they, they accused my son of this Pizza Joe's robbery and they tried the robbery that was like, I don't know, some... I don't know how many days, like weeks afterwards, and they tried it with the murder trial. So imagine how confusing this is. They're having a, mur a yeah. separate murder trial and a trial of a Pizza Joe's robbery with completely different witnesses. And they try them together mm -hmm. to prejudice the murder trial with this weapon from the Pizza Joe's uh, trial. So that's what they did because there was no weapon in the murder trial and there was no bullets, no ballistics. There was no, no fragments. So they had no weapon, no nothing. And that's what, you know, that was the purpose for them uh, wanting to well, convict him on the uh, robbery. I know, I know this, it doesn't make you feel any better, but this is, this is really, it's, it's par for the course, unfortunately. I just in a high profile case, so you talk about recusing yourself, uh, Dr. Simone Gold, who was one of the, uh, physicians that was uh, protesting uh, vaccine mandates, she when she appeared in court, the judge in her case was a guy she had gone to law school with who had mm -hmm. asked her out for a date and she turned him down. And he she didn't, he didn't recruit himself. I mean, so, oh know, my gosh, so, that is just ridiculous. I, and that happens all the time. So it's, you know, driving is right. That's, 
that doesn't surprise me in the least. And it's, it, but so do you, ha do you have a chance to get an appeal? Do you have attorney working on the case now? Well, I was just looking at something from one of your viewers and I wanted to touch on this. Yeah, we do have an attorney. Um, sure. But uh, there was a tarp that was a foot away from the body that the detectives just said, oh, they didn't collect that. They said they didn't need that for evidence because that didn't match what the kids, you know, who were witnesses said. Um, so so they just left that tarp there. So they left the tarp there. And then the last phone numbers that the victim called on his phone before he was never heard from again um, were to a heroin dealer. But the detective said that he never checked into those phone numbers or investigated them. I investigated them, found out who they went to. And I looked in the detective's report and saw that man's name in there. So he did investigate him, but he lied on the stand in trial and said he never investigated him. What what comment did you see that you wanted to respond to? Um, the Chris Buchan Bu said, Buchan, "Yeah, yeah. More often than not, cops don't even follow basic right. procedures. Yes, yeah, yes. they they don't. How do you leave a tarp there? That shows that that body was killed somewhere else and brought yeah. there with that tarp. That's why there was no bullets there. They they used metal detectors two days in a row and could not find a single bullet in that area." You know, I, I've I've been I got my start uh, down these rabbit holes uh, uh, as a JFK assassination researcher. That's my that's my still my wheelhouse issue. But mm -hmm. for a long time, a lot of us have said, "Well, you know, God, the Dallas police were so sloppy; they were so awful." But uh, really, this is commonplace. It's just that was such a high profile assassination of a president. But mm -hmm. what's happened here is just what happened to you, and happens all the time. Police routinely are messy. They don't they don't uh, they don't uh, cordon off the crime scene. They uh, they uh, destroy the evidence by touching it or whatever. And if you get a good attorney in there, they immediately throw all this evidence out. But it seems like that happened here, which is typical. But it's it's just it breaks my heart for for people like you that are going through this. Do you, do you think you have a chance of uh, of getting a, a new trial? Do you have a good attorney now? Or well. What I'm going to say is we should have a good chance. We're in the six, the Northern District uh, Court of Appeals right now with the federal habeas. Um, the direct appeal, you know, we had some uh, some pretty compelling, you know, that uh, cell site data was collected without a warrant. And in 2019, the U.S. Supreme Court said that, uh, you know, that that's against somebody's constitutional rights. So right there, that should do something. The yeah. jury tampering was un unconstitutional. Like that woman lied in Vordire. She technically should be charged. Um, that's, you know, that should right there earn us something. You know, all of the uh, new evidence, the new witnesses that we have who say, hey, um, these people admitted to us that they are the ones who actually did it. And all the evidence supports them doing it. Nothing supports Austin doing it. So if you weigh the evidence with what these people, these new witnesses are saying, that all paints a picture that makes sense. Nothing made sense when they do, were, do, you know, trying. Go ahead. Do, do, do you see I, the question on screen for you there from Chris? Does the guest know about the blue tarp with the boys on the track Mena, Arkansas case? No, I don't know anything about that, but I'd certainly like to look that up. Yeah, well, it's it was associated with Bill Clinton when he was governor there, and I I knew uh, these two teenage boys were uh, uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time, getting high, fifteen years old in the summer, and I think mm -hmm. the, the evidence shows they happened on a drug drop, 
which uh, there was so much, so many drugs and money being laundered through Mina, Arkansas's uh, Mina Airport in Arkansas. Barry Seal, they mm -hmm. made a movie about him with uh, Tom Cruise playing and everything. When when Clinton, the corruption was through the roof when he was a uh, governor there. Anyhow, they they claimed that these boys got high and laid down on a train track and committed suicide, which was ridiculous. Oh, they found second on they had the bodies exhumed and found the beating. You know they'd been beaten and everything and. Uh, I, I knew the mother of one of the boys, Linda Hayden Ives, who was very courageously fought for years to get the truth. And she just mm -hmm. died last year and tragically. And her oh. daughter died. So uh, there's so many of these horrible stories. So he, he's referring to that. But then some of these are more high profile than others. But well, obviously, every one is important. This is obviously your life here. And it's just how I mean, this has this made you uh, you uh, you looked at the thing, the comment about the cops. I mean, this has to disillusion you and you have to look at the system differently now. Well, I do. And um, I never wanted to be involved in politics my whole life. Now, here I am. I am involved in politics. I've been helping people with their campaigns. I've been watching uh, who's running for, you know, the Ohio Supreme Court, uh, you know, and uh, we did get a dissenting opinion in the Ohio Supreme Court. So um, basically, Maureen O'Connor said, uh, you know, she was the head Supreme Court justice. She said, you know, that they weren't going to accept jurisdiction because of a technicality that the trial court judge was the same as the judge in the in the post-conviction appeal. But the other two justices said, hey, we don't agree with you. This man should have an evidentiary hearing. That this evidence that he has is compelling. And um, and they were calling out the prosecutor and the judge. They did something pretty dirty in our post-conviction appeal. We uh, subpoenaed evidence to support an alternate murderer. And, um, and basically, they decided to do an in-camera review of the evidence, not share it with the defense or anybody else. And then they sealed the records and then summarily dismissed our post-conviction appeal. And so the Ohio Supreme Court justices said that was dirty, you know, um, so we, we've got all of this, uh, I don't know, there's just so much, there's so much to unpack. And, uh, you know, something else about the uh, coroner who unfortunately died like a, a month after our Austin's trial, there were two other cases that this coroner was involved in that were national cases. One of them was Delbert Ward in Munsville, New York. He did the same thing where he changed um, his, uh, you know, uh, opinion about how the the man died um, and, and it matched what the police were telling him. And so what happened is the townsfolk were upset and they didn't believe that this man committed the murder of his own brother. And so they went and they raised money and they hired an independent forensic examiner and the independent forensic examiner ruled that the, the, the guy's brother died of a congenital heart defect which matched originally what Humphrey Germaniuk said to begin with was that it was natural causes. He only said that it was murder after the police, you know, kind of buzzed in his ear and said, oh, we think he was asphyxiated. So that was one case that he botched up. Then there was another case in New York of a lady named Rose Young, and he determined that uh, a, the, the boy died of a traumatic brain injury and the defense 
hired an independent forensic pathologist or an expert. And that expert said, no, you know, based on the science, the science says that, you know, this person died of malnutrition and not of traumatic, you know, brain injury. And so this woman was acquitted. Um, so this Humphrey Germaniac, this coroner has a history of, um, changing his conclusions or his findings based on what the police say to him and not based on the science. Well, I, I, that's again, not uncommon. LB Bruins 79 has some advice for you. He says, I get try to get a forensic expert to bring those facts oh, yeah. to the, the appeal along with exact codes yes. the police violated. So you know about that then. And, and my, yes, my, yeah. the, the other thing I, I, this may sound kind of off the wall, but one of the shows, I mean, and it, I have great, I, I criticize this show a lot. It's called Reasonable Doubt. It's on Investigation Discovery. And oh, yes, very, I'm, I'm very well. <laughs> well, your your son's case is, a, I mean, perfect for that. Have you tried well, to they, they were them? talking to me, and originally oh. um, when our case was supposed to be considered, there was like, a, you know, but the, the show's not going to be aired anymore. They took it off the air. Oh, okay. Well, maybe, I guess they don't want people to even know there is such a thing as reasonable. And again, I'm very critical of the show because I found watching it that every case I've seen on there, yeah, it was reasonable doubt yeah. they should be released, but they hardly ever do. Most of the time they end up siding with the ridiculous. So they, I'm not saying that they would have even sided with you, but there was a mm -hmm. chance and it seemed like your your son's case fit the, the other cases I saw. I'm, well, that's an interesting that you, I didn't know that the show has been canceled. I, I don't know what else... I mean, I, mm -hmm. it's it's just it's just horrible when you have this kind of system. And how how does the how do your your other children feel? And how does the rest of your family feel? I mean, they must all be really. It's it's been it's been really rough. My youngest son had to go through high school without his best friend. We were in grief for years. He didn't even really socialize or date or anything in high school because we were so, you know. Um, I mean, I, I mean, it basically affected like every moment of our lives. I mean, and, and it still has, it's been five years. And the only thing that we can do is uh, focus on, on getting him out. Not only that, but it has a financial toll or a burden on the families as well, because, you know, they don't feed them adequately in the prisons. And so you have to spend hundreds of dollars a week, you know, to make sure that he can get something that, and he's been in, I mean, as a side note, he's been in solitary confinement for the entire time that he's oh. been in Lucasville Penitentiary. You know, <laughs> it, 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 yes. So, and I, I, I mean, and I can even tell you more things that are even more ridiculous, you know, like the uh, fake escape plan that the prosecutor um, orchestrated um, in order to get him into a maximum security prison to put him in solitary confinement. And if I showed you the pictures of his, tools of escape you it would make you want to throw up because it was like literally a wad of caulking and um a small washer from a screw and a piece of a broken fingernail clipper and i guess he was going to macgyver his way out of a fifth story window of this jail with bars going uh, through the windows and he was going yeah. to escape and he was never formally charged of it he was only accused of it but that accusation alone put him in a maximum security prison in solitary confinement. And it also um, it keeps getting mentioned in all of these appeals, even though he was never convicted of it. Well, who made the allegation against him? The prosecutor. 
Oh, but how, but how did the prosecutor? He must have heard from someone as jailhouse. Oh, he said uh, he said that based on a phone call with um, Austin and his girlfriend, where he told the girlfriend to come to a certain window so that he can wave to her from out on the street. That that was um, basically an escape plan, and then they found <laughs> these uh, items behind a bolt in the wall. But this cell that he was in, it was the first day he'd ever been in that cell. And and supposedly there was a bolt in the wall. And so when they went into there to search the cell, they knew exactly what they were looking for and they pulled it straight out. It was orchestrated and they knew what they were doing and they did it on purpose because they wanted to get him into a maximum security prison. And um, the, the murder victim, the murder victim in this case, his father worked for a maximum security prison in Ohio. And I saw comments on social media saying just wait till he gets here so i believe that it was a plan from the prosecutor to try to get my son in the same prison that the victim's father worked in but i mean i did but we ended up that it didn't end up happening because i told my son on the phone that uh when he gets to the first prison, which is, you know, they have a receiving institution that you're supposed to like go through some kind of testing. And then they determine like which mother institution you're going to go to. I said, don't worry, buddy. I said, you've got an aunt there and she's going to, she's going to look out for you. And I knew that the prosecutor was like micro analyzing every phone call that we had. There was no aunt there. The next day, first thing in the morning in the paper, it said that Austin was going to Southern Ohio because of a nexus with the Lorraine institution. And so basically uh, everything that I believed was confirmed that day um, because there was no aunt at Lorraine. So I was able to successfully get him away from the maximum security prison. And get him into a different prison. Well, that's good. I think they were planning well, on killing my son. Great, they mean, were planning on killing him in this other prison well, where the dad was. Well, this prosecutor, this this prosecutor sounds unusually malicious, even for most prosecutors. Now, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. Yeah. Let yeah, me tell you something ahead. about this prosecutor's background. He came from Steubenville, Ohio, and he was the first assistant prosecutor under Stephen Stern. And anybody who knows anything about Steubenville, Ohio, Stephen Stern was investigated by the Department of Justice for planning drugs on innocent people. Oh, and the, he was the Steubenville of... That, that's I wrote about that in my book, uh, Bullyocracy. I don't know if it was Stephen Yeah, Stern, well, that's where this the, prosecutor the came the, from. Well, the Steubenville uh, football players, you remember that when they had the, the gang yes, rape on the girl? Yes. That's what they're known for. Just horrible miscarriage of justice. Well, and 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 even before that, um, they they the Department of Justice came in because of Stephen Stern. Well, as soon as Stephen Stern got ousted, this Christopher Becker left Steubenville and came to war in Ohio. So now you've got this uh this um, prosecutor who was mentored by a dirty prosecutor in Steuben, Ohio, Steubenville, Ohio. And then you've got this coroner who was like disgraced in two other states and came to war in Ohio. And, you know, that's how we have this hodgepodge of these bad actors. Um, and I don't believe that my son's case out of war in Ohio is the only one that they've done this to. I believe that other people have been framed as well. It's just that the resources and the time to look into these cases you know, would, would be arduous. But I, if there's anybody from Warren, Ohio, that's listening to this podcast, 
reach out to me. If you have suspicious things that happened in your case, or you need help and you want yeah. me to help you investigate your case, I'm here and you can find me on Facebook. I'm uh, I moderate the wrongful conviction support group with Joe Simnevec, but I also have, you know, a Facebook page. I belong to all the Warren community uh, pages and uh, you know, you can find me there. Well, they, and they, I wanted to make sure they know how to, because you have uh, Chris Graves and how can we help? We, the people, help this nice lady. People are obviously moved by your story. Can, so is there, uh, other than, like, I'm the prosecution seems, the prosecutor seems like, is there a way for people to contact? you have his name and contact info? People can just barrage him with emails about, you know, what are you doing here? This is a miscarriage. I mean, it's probably not going to move him, but, you know, it can't hurt. I don't know. Right. Well, right now our case is in the federal, um, in the federal courts, our habeas is in the federal courts. The Ohio attorney general is the one that has to answer to our federal habeas. His name is Dave Yost. That's the Ohio attorney general. Um, if you want to barrage anybody, it might be him, but okay. uh, the governor, you know, is uh, governor DeWine. Um, he has the ability to pardon or grant clemency to people and Christopher Becker. I mean, I've got a lot more to talk about. I mean, we could have a whole nother show on this, uh, this, this character because he is a character. <laughs> He's a the, character unlike anybody I've ever met before. Yes. Yes. He this is, is a, a character. If I were to tell right, you so some I'm, of the things that this man has done to me personally since this case, um, he was going under fake Facebook uh, characters and, um, so that he could um, abuse us from these fake characters. Um, he uh, he was also, um, while this case was going on, he was on social media talking to BCI, even people that were... Uh, like anybody that had anything to do with the case, like they were sitting there um, berating my son and my family on social media. Now he got busted and he took his social media account down, but um, he just is, uh, I don't, I don't know what's wrong with this man. There's, there's something wrong with him, but uh, I think he's got like a self-esteem or an ego issue oh. and, and he just has to, you know, have his ego stroked and, uh, you know. But we do have a website and we do have a Facebook. Um, the Facebook is uh, is um, it's uh, justice for Austin T. Burke, but it's www.facebook.com forward slash Trumbull County is corrupt. And then our uh, website is www.trumbullcountyiscorrupt.com. Yeah, you can find out all the details about it there. And I, you know, I certainly wish you. The best of luck with this. This is just a, an outrageous story. And, Our and trial I know transcripts are on that website to download. So anybody that wants to read the trial transcripts, they're there. Well, and, and I, I hope uh, I hope this appearance helps. I know people out there are moved by it. And uh, have, have you reached out to Project Innocence? Is they're big, and is, would they would they? Cause we I mean, reached is, out to the Innocence Project, and they did say project. that they would help us. But you have to exhaust all of your appeals first and okay. then they can come in and help. And probably because, you know, they have to be equitable, you know, with a lot of people who've already been sitting in prison for 20 some years or, or longer. Um, gotcha. But yeah, yeah, we have to, we have to exhaust all our appeals first and then they'll come out. Well, and, and it's sad to say that there, there, there is a lot of business out there because there's so many wrongfully convicted people. We can't even, can't even imagine it. And uh, unfortunately your son is one of them. And so Jamie sell again, I, Thank you so much for coming on the show. Wish you the best of luck. 
And uh, please keep uh, keep me updated. Uh, you know, and I, I hope maybe you can find some justice because you certainly deserve it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, thank you very much for being on the show. Thanks. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Okay. Let me sell. And if you, uh, again, you know, I wanted to tell her story because, uh, her to tell her story because it's, it's no telling how many of these stories are, are happening across the country. And this is not, you know, when, when people think, you know, we look at the, uh, like the failure of us to be able to, you know, convict a Hillary Clinton or uh, or uh, Hunter Biden or any of the, you know, the, the obvious criminals that, you know, the white collar criminals that have done so much damage to the country. The fact that we can't prosecute them or anything, and then you you juxtapose that against things like this, where her 18 year old son, who I think just looking at it uh, from from uh, an independent view was probably targeted because he had a juvie record, a juvenile record. And so they said, well, of course, this guy was in juvenile. What do you expect? And then they tried to build the case up around it. This happens all the time. And again, that's why if I wrote a book about the justice system, I just don't think people would read it. You know? So I think I'm going to devote myself to more just hidden history stuff. And I'll have sections, you know, in there about these kinds of cases. But my friend Carolyn Rose Goida has, uh, you know, talked about all the municipal corruption that she experienced in Missouri and I've had other people that, uh, you know, send me their stories and they're, they're heartbreaking. And uh, they're just like this, where they, uh, it's, it's amazing. And then to hear the prosecutor in this case, that the prosecutor is going to the lengths of impersonating, you know, of having fake Facebook accounts just to, to torment her. Ultimate trolling behavior. But this, this is, uh, you know, this is the reality. So I, I think it's... Uh, important for us to note that this is, uh, you know, the sloppy police work, uh, you know, wasn't just in Dallas or in, in Los Angeles with the RFK assassination or any of these other high profile cases. Uh, they, they, it happens all the time. It's just, we don't hear about it unless like it's your family. So I, uh, you know, I, I go back to, uh, the, uh, the, the Lindbergh baby kidnapping, uh, of, um, or if it was a kidnapping, you know, there's some school of thought that he actually died accidentally when his father, who was a, a great man in many ways, but he had a psychopathic uh, uh, affinity for practical jokes. And a lot of people think that he may have been trying to play a practical joke and accidentally his son died. And then they built this whole thing up. Regardless, it's, and I talked about all this in Crimes and Cover-Ups, American Politics, 70, 76, 1963. Um, they took a guy, uh, Richard Hoffman, whose first name was Bruno, but they used it incessantly in the media to try to prejudice the public because it was anti-German sentiment was building up for our uh, eventual entrance into World War II. So they used the, 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 the Germanic sounding name Bruno and his wife was incensed at that because uh, he was never called Bruno, it was Richard Hoppen. But they, they took a guy and they framed him like, you know, like, and he, I, I always felt so bad for, for him because he was just a, a guy that was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And uh, this is, you know, the, the boys on the tracks were in the wrong place at the wrong time that we mentioned in Mena, Arkansas. And Jamie Sell's son apparently was in the wrong place at the wrong time as well. And they, uh, once, once the, from the police all the way up through the judge, uh, the, our injustice system is, is, is as filthy and corrupt and rotten as it can be. And every step of the way, every part of it is corrupt. And so they just keep building the case so that it starts with the police who often plant evidence, who uh, break protocol and procedure all the time, and uh, you know will we'll easily will we'll 
frame. Look at this guy. This guy, how do you sleep with yourself doing that? You have to know. I mean, to to sit there and try to get the guy thrown into a uh, get the kids thrown into a maximum security prison in solitary confinement for some obviously fake, uh, obviously fake uh, escape attempt. Come on, no way. Chris is uh, Gray's mentioning innocent until proven wealthy and right on cue. But now she's yeah. Those are two potential books. I don't know. Right on cue. That title came from a great producer, Tony. Arterburn, if I wrote a separate book about Trump. I don't know if I'm going to do that because I've, uh, you know, uh, White Wolf says prosecutors always try to demonize people. Such testimony should be disqualified. Absolutely. And But, again, you watch those, and I I, I, I really watch those investigation discovery sh- shows, some of them, for just that reason, to try to, uh, try to I, I guess, just build up more of a case in my head to how overwhelming this corruption is because you see, and, and the shows, and again, the people don't seem to sense it. Do you understand the concept of reasonable doubt? I mean, that's, it's pretty clear, right? So I've seen very few cases where there wasn't, you know, really reasonable doubt and they still convicted people to long uh, sentences. Now, one of the, uh, ironically, one of the few cases where there was no doubt, let alone reasonable doubt, uh, was the beating death of a homeless man, Rodney Thomas, several years ago, if you remember that. And uh, the entire crime, now he was beaten to death by a bunch of cops. The entire crime was captured on videotape. Now, there should be no question, right? I mean, if it's captured on videotape, you should see what's happening. They heard the audio. They heard him screaming for his father, who was a retired cop. They heard him you know, saying, stop, stop. He was no threat to anybody. And uh, they beat him to death. And they, it was so bad that they actually prosecuted a couple of the cops. But what happened? The same kind of brain-dead jury that convicts anybody, for convicted Jamie Sell's son and so many others on the flimsiest of evidence, exonerated these cops. Disgraceful. And, you know, every one of them, you know, they're jurors because they're voters. Every one of them should have had the right to, take, to vote taken away from them to make a, a decision Give it, you know, a decision that idiotic. And again, ironically, usually it's their railroading people and uh, taking uh, people's freedom away on almost nothing. But in this case, they, they let somebody go that uh, was, you know, at least anything. Cops should be held to a higher standard because they're enforcing laws. So no excuse that Eric Hogan said cops think they have extra rights. Absolutely. And say so Eric and White Wolf and uh, my friend Vince Agnelli, Chris Graves, of course. Top researcher, Graham Hale from Sydney, Australia. Who else was it? Jennifer uh, Whitehouse, I saw earlier. Uh, Chris Buchan. And you did, but over on, lots of people there, but there are a lot of times. My friend Ron did to see you. Vince is there too. Chris Graves is there too. Uh, former con member is there. Uh, missed over here because I wasn't able to monitor that. Um, I saw Raybo. There's Raybo. Good to see you, Raybo. Duluth Hap. Okay. Let's see. Who else do we have here? There's not really many questions there. Most of the questions are coming. Let's see if I missed anything here. Okay. Yeah, I don't think there's but yeah so just so just to you know sum up that um you know basically you should uh 
we should all have empathy for people like uh, Jamie Sell because it, you know, it could be, it can happen to any of us. There's Alan Holman. There's Alan Holman. Good to see you, my old friend in uh, Utah. Good to see you, Alan. Um, but let's, let's talk, you know, obviously what's, um, what has happened recently is the uh, absurd election. So I didn't really get to touch on it. We talked about it with my friend Susan Olson last week, but since then, um, things have clarified a little bit. And again, I think, I hope any of you out there who are still harboring any hopes that uh, there's any kind of difference. I mean, well, there is a, di a distinctive difference between the two parties at this point, the two parties, but uh, in terms of, of fighting for the people, there's no difference. And I liken it right now to uh, uh, what we are basically is we are a collective battered child. We're being abused. And uh, the parent that is abusing us is the Democratic Party. You know, the surface. We know that they have people above them that we don't know. And who knows how the hell that is. But the people we can see abusing us, the Democratic Party runs everything at this point in charge. And, uh, and the, other, the other spouse is the Republican Party. And they are the enabler. And they're sitting there and allowing it to happen. So a lot, what happens is uh, you'll find that for abused children most of the time they end up resenting the parent who enabled it rather than the abuser, because in their minds they can, they can rationalize, okay, you know, my father's a horrible person. Yeah, this is, he's evil. And I, the luck of the draw, it's terrible. I got this guy, but he is, but they can't rationalize the mother who seems to love them and uh, that not protecting him, not leaving him or not doing something about it. And that happens over and over again. And I, I, I've known people like that myself. That's where we are now. So at this point, we you need to criticize the Republicans more because the Democrats are beyond hope at this point, the ones that are in power. There aren't any good ones. Tulsi Gabbard's out of office. There aren't any, even halfway decent good ones. Um, Marcy Kaptur is still in Congress. I think she used to be good a long time ago. I don't know what she but She can't be very good at this point. And you have a handful of Republicans who are okay. But what happened? The, the Republicans won. First of all, they lost in the Senate because of some very dubious races, Blake Masters, especially in Arizona. And... Uh, they won what appears to be a very, the slimmest of margins in the House. So they'll have that. But what happens as soon as they get in there, and I said this, if, if you don't change the leadership, they won't, in the Senate, they won't change for Mitch McConnell, who's as bad as it gets. He's as bad as any Democrat you want to find. Uh, so when you have leaders like that, nothing's going to change because that's the face of the so-called opposition. And they're going along with everything. So uh, Mitch McConnell would be there to do his act. And uh, in the House, you had this guy, Kevin McCarthy, who uh, there were some, you had, uh, you had uh, Matt Gates that, uh, and a couple others, Chip Roy, were trying to replace him, and rightfully so, because he's, he's a neocon joke. But uh, they got shot down, and even Marjorie Taylor Greene, who on the surface seems to be the most pro-conspiracy type of uh, uh, congressional representative out there, she inexplicably supported Kevin McCarthy. So he's there again. So uh, he will be the Speaker of the House, and he will not do anything. Okay. I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is. He didn't do anything before he did. So that's the problem you're going to have. He, and he's going to be in a letter in a long tradition of the Paul Ryans of the world and, and John Boehner. And uh, these Republicans are awful. And uh, so they're talking about, they're going to hold hearings on this and that. We'll see what kind of hearings happen. I don't, I, I the first thing you should be doing is holding hearings, exposing now, they're supposed to do something regarding January 6th, the, the, the treatment of the prisoners. I hope they actually do that. I find it hard to believe they will. And I think they'll have a hard time getting 
very many of their own party because again the republic cucks are just as awful as it comes they're this called the stupid party for for good reason and they buy into this stuff that uh you know that these the election deniers lost and all this kind of nonsense and then you have people like uh, carrie lake who was the most object of, of uh, electoral theft that uh, you know, I, I don't, and I think it was, again, they don't have to, at this point, they don't have to fix that many elections because first of all, the voters are that stupid and biased in many areas. I mean, how many elections do you have to fix in California? You know, half the population is probably illegal at this point. They're all allowed to vote. So um, it's, but with the mail-in ballot thing, which Donald Trump opened the door to, Trump opened the door to by buying into the, 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 the Fauci nonsense and buying into the fact that people couldn't, it was dangerous for them to go and vote in person. So he opened the door to it and uh, they changed it and they're, they're going to do it forever now because it works well for them. That's why if anybody wonders, it does at this point, beyond any kind of vote fraud, what kind of even fourth world country is still counting the votes over a week after the election? That's absurd. There's, there's no excuse for it. And there's uh, the idea that this could still be happening and no one questions it. There's no, there's not just like no journalist questions the JFK assassination or 9-11 or anything else. They're not questioning this. And if you question it, they call you an election denier. So wear that proud. Don't back down from it. And I hope that uh, Carrie Lake, and I have some questions about her background as well, because, you know, she was a, uh, supposedly, I think they claim she voted for Obama or something, but she has kind of a dubious background herself, but um, she said a lot of good things during the campaign. It, it, it was important. That state was important because that's, you know, next to Texas, that's that's your other big border state that's allowing all the illegals in. And uh, Blake Masters and Carrie Lake, especially as governor, they both were talking about declaring an emergency and sending the truth. Uh, the National Guard to the border. And you have, and, and why hasn't, you know, again, Republica Abbott, Greg Abbott in Texas, he's been there all this time. Why hasn't he done that? I understand he's declared an emergency again. What's he going to do? He'll do nothing. He's a Republica. That's what they do. They do nothing except apologize. They're very good at apologizing. I'll give them that. They're best apologizers in the world. <laughs> but other than that, they're just completely worthless. Um, Eric Hogan wants us to change to join the American States Assembly to change the status from U.S. citizen to American state national and create a local off-grid community. That's and that's what Ben Zagnelli's talking about. When the system collapses, we can go. You know, I think that's the only answer. But the problem is, I, you know, I, I don't see them letting us do it. You know, this it's kind of like secession. You know, people talking about seceding. Well, we went through that in 1860, and almost a million dead Americans later. Uh, I, we didn't have to be convinced anymore that they're not going to let that happen. This union is not voluntary. They let you know that. So, and what gets underestimated is, is that the other side, the woke forces, the, the majority that run things now, increasingly insane <laughs> woke forces, they want us around. They need us to survive. They, they need us like a vampire needs blood. They need us to survive. Because they have to have people to cancel. They have to have people to uh, to punish, to ridicule, to contrast with. That's what the virtue signaling is all about. Who are they going to virtue signal to? And so that's that's their entire premise. Whereas we 
our side, and again, I'm not saying I'm on the Republican side, but I'd much prefer that side to the Democrats at this point, simply because they're not insane. I know what I'm getting with the Republicans. More demands for tax cuts for uh, the wealthy and corporate tax cuts and that kind of nonsense. But um, they're not going to, you know, teach critical race theory or or uh, push 57 genders. And and uh, I don't think many of them want to go to digitized currency. I don't know. But so at this point, they're much preferable. So, you know, if you have those communities and you can uh, live in red areas or whatever, but it's not going to happen because we wouldn't, we would, all of us would be ecstatic if there were no Karens around, no woke people. It would be great. It'd be a paradise, right? But the problem is they would not want a, a community where we weren't around. And that's the difference. And people need to, um, you know, people need to understand that. But I, I understand what you're saying. I understand Vince is saying local community is the way it's going. And, you know, if the economy collapses, which, it, you know, it always seems like it's going to. I don't know what's propping it up. But uh, if they go to this digitalized currency and they tie it to a cre- social credit score, then all of us, I know I certainly will, will, will not have access to our money because we'll, we'll always be doing something to violate uh, the protocols of how to get your money. Oh, you know, look at your tweets. Look at your, uh, in my case, it would just look at your books that are out there, you know, and uh, look at your, the tapes from your shows like this. So uh, if that's the case, then the only option we have is to create local communities where we barter or we create our own uh, exchange, own form of, of monetary exchange. And there's no reason why we couldn't do that. But uh, the problem is, would they bring, would they bring uh, military force in? Would they bring police in? I think so. First of all, they'd miss the tax revenue, and they'd miss the people to demonize because if just them, who are they going to demonize? And they need again, they need to have to be demonizing people at this time because uh, that's just look at it just on the surface of it. Okay, let, let's say, uh, let's say that. Uh, if we looked at the Republicans and Democrats as being legitimate, this, this, they were counting the votes last election. Okay, let's. You tell me how any with a public that is educated at all or aware at all, how could what were the Democrats running on? Uh, were they running on uh, the worst economy in our history, record inflation, uh, an unemployment rate we can't even calculate anymore, uh, World War, a, a support for World War III, including a nuclear option? Open borders, where we've had some, uh, what is it, uh, five or seven million or whatever they claim has come by their figures, which I'm sure is conservative since uh, Biden entered office in two years. Uh, 57 genders. This crazed, uh, you know, uh, taking little children to to drag drag queen strip shows. Transgender story hour. this, I mean, this is this is madness. What what exactly? What what are they running on? What is going? The, the entire economy is in shambles. The last portion of the economy that was still somehow staying strong was real estate, and now that's going to go down the toilet because of the the interest rates have shot up so much. So um, they had nothing to run on. So it should have, and a real election should have been easy to defeat them. Now we know they're not legitimate elections, but to the degree that they are legitimate. And I think some of them are because I think, you know, I think it's the point they just let they just say, you know, we had two awful candidates here. We'll let them actually vote. And um, and that's what you usually have. You usually don't have that much of a choice. You had a little bit of a choice, I think, in Arizona. And 
uh, a few other places and the voters typically made the wrong choice or, you know, it was made for them with, uh, with corruption. But Republicans, in most cases, they didn't run on the things you should have run on. They should have run on, they should have run against the political prisoner, the imprison, political imprisonment of the January 6th defense. They should have said we have political prisoners in Washington, D.C. And that, you know, the uh, Jamie Sell certainly could appreciate people being unjustly imprisoned, but those people have uh, been, they weren't accused of murder. They were accused of, you know, they, they were accused of so-called insurrection for walking in the Capitol building and taking selfies. Uh, they've been incarcerated for some of them. We don't even know how many are there for almost two years now. Uh, denied all due process, uh, allegations of being in solitary confinement and being beaten. And nobody's saying anything about it. And then you, then you form an unconstitutional January 6th commission breaking all precedent and all historical precedent with Congress. And you don't allow any opposing views. There's no defense of the prisoners. All there's no alternative. Ex there's no other views allowed. It's just a prosecution. You're seeing a prosecution nationally televised of these people. And uh, so that should have been, I thought it would have been the first thing I ran on. I don't think any of them talked about it, to be honest. I don't think there was, I don't know if Carrie Lake talked about that. Uh, and obviously the economy, you, you could have talked about that. That should have been a winning issue alone. Opposition to World War III, but the problem is most of the Republicans support World War III because they always support war, just like all the Democrats do. It's a war party. So they're not against war. Uh, they think, you know, Putin's a demon too. They stand with Ukraine as well. They want to give 60 more billion dollars to Ukraine. All this, an Amer a real America First candidate would have talked about how many billions we've given this clown Zelensky and these Zionist clown in, in Ukraine. And uh, while at the same time you have American citizens, you know, crapping in the street, in, in, in the streets of big cities, living in tents, you have so many people homeless and you have them homeless amid a record number of abandoned buildings and empty buildings. It wouldn't take much of an intellect to come up with a way to, let, let's, let's, let's see what we can do with that. Let's see, we have empty buildings, homeless people. Hmm. Uh, you know, it wouldn't take too much for real statements to try to figure out how to uh, to reconcile that, to put some people in those buildings. But they never do that because we don't have any states and we have uh, life. You know, we have uh, career politicians who are not are not going to be voted out, obviously. And that's one thing I paid attention to when I was uh, looking at the election results. I was trying to figure out. Okay, how many incumbents lost? And it didn't look like too many incumbents lost. Very, very few. I know that I did hear in the Senate for the first time since 1914, there wasn't a single incumbent that was defeated. There is in the uh, at the it was in the Politburo, the Soviet Politburo, at the height of the Soviet Union. White Wolf says Ukraine war is pure theater, being kept warned to escalate at the appropriate time. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, I don't know. At this point, they were been on the brink, the precipice of World War III for so long. I, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is just uh, you know fear porn, like an asteroid is going to hit next week. Um, 
be something they're planning. And uh, what's going on here? I keep having Okay. Eric Hogan says, Benny Thompson is quite disgusting. He's beyond me why he's in office of the voters in Mississippi, that moronic. Well, look how moronic he is. And, you know, ironically, uh, Herschel Walker, who was a fine football player, but, uh, you know, he he doesn't exactly sound articulate on the stand, but he's, you know, and, and he was kind of criticized for that. But Benny Thompson would be one of my, and this guy, of course, is the chairman of the January 6th commission. Have you heard him talk? Mixing up his plurals and singulars. And okay, that, is that racist? Is it racist to say that someone should be able to uh, be able to speak coherently and not mix up plurals and singulars and make basic grammatical errors when you're the chairman of a powerful congressional committee? I, I you know, I, I, I don't know that uh, <laughs> it's to me. So, and again, so Herschel Walker to me sounds. Uh, very much like him and and uh, other members of the National Black Caucus, and uh, that. But again, you can't say anything about that because they they, they claim you're racist. I'm sorry, it is what it is. Because I, in in most cases, if I was uh, if I was in a position of prominence um, and not being black, I would be called on the carpet for for making some of the, just constructing some of these sentences. They hear it's like, wait wait a minute, did you did you graduate from high school? But so. I think this needs to be stressed, but again, I don't expect any any people to have the uh, the ball stress it. And again, and so okay, we have Graham McAndrew. Lest we forget, right on. Okay, I'm not sure that's in. <laughs> we have a lot that we shouldn't forget, that's for sure. But it's good to see you, Ronnie. And uh, so, you know, we have so we have again, the madness continues. And what, what is so distressing about this is that, you know, and, and to hear the Biden administration talk and bring up democracy so much is, is just, because you know, the essence of democracy is supposed to be your vote, right? Your vote is precious. Well, here you had a chance. You had, I mean, every elect, uh, election theoretically represents a chance for the voters to give them some. Could anybody not be giving a huge thumbs down to the people in charge at this point? But instead, them, uh, you know, uh, 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 you know, really, uh, oh yeah, Hugger says I was breaking up a bit. Yeah, I, I know the connection. I have a new, I have a new camera that should be much better, thanks to uh, Tony Arterburn, but and to you guys, your contributions. So do the best we can. Hopefully you can you can hear and see what I'm saying. But um, so here we had a chance. It had a chance, and boy, I mean, it's like you know, did we ever have a chance to throw the bums out? And they've never been bummier than ever. I mean, if ever you needed to throw the bums out, it would be now after this these disgusting two years under Biden. I mean, how? I, I, and again, I the Republicans aren't good. But and probably ninety percent of them, or ninety-five percent of them, should have been voted out. But every single Democrat and public, there's not single one that deserved to retain their office of all the horrible anti-free speech and uh, pro-war, totalitarian, tyrannical things that they uh, supported and pushed. This is just you know, it's obvious. I mean, you you had basically a bunch of big brothers. 
So, but unlike in Orwell's book, you're supposedly in 1984, at least you, you theoretically have the chance to vote them out. We didn't do it. So we better hope there's massive vote fraud because, you know, the scariest prospect of all, as I've said many times, is if people really are voting this way to any appreciable degree. I mean, if, if they really can't stop themselves from voting, uh, you know, Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell and Chucky Schumer, you know, last, uh, last week, the week before last, I had uh, the LaRouche candidate on here who was running against Chuck Schumer. And, you know, that'll get the counter of votes. I mean, the, the elections are a sham. And it's, uh, that's, it, but again, even saying that, gosh, you're an election denier. And uh, yeah, you're right. I'm denying that, I'm denying the results of, of these elections. And it goes back very far. Uh, you know, again, I talked about, it goes back to Abraham Lincoln. Alan, Alan said the show signal's broken up too much. Wow, he's going to go. Well, I'm sorry about that, Alan. I, I, okay, yeah. And, uh, Vince says the Rockfin keeps he's pumping out, but YouTube feed is delayed but solid. Well, I, I know what's going on. I don't, I don't know why I'm on the same equipment I've been using, and it's been working much better. Um, I don't know. We'll carry on as best we can. Yeah, uh, we still can't get the phone lines completely. Uh, we can't get it to, to where we can call it. We will get these maybe things will work smoother. But uh, so there's any questions in the uh, chat? Just seeing discussions over there. Um, let's see, Tom Cooper, I see you there. See you. He's, uh, I think, the unofficial campaign manager for Tony Ardburn's presidential candidacy. Eric, the USA was once a country instead of a corporation. It was once, you know, it was much. Uh, not that it was good, you know. I'm saying it was, it was, it was uh, much. It was corrupt, but it has always been corrupt. But the problem was uh, compared to what we see today. Um, America went, but first of all, it was competent. And that's what you don't see now. You've got, and that's what's most shocking is when you look at the evidence of incompetence on the part of these leaders uh, at all. I mean, again, I, and at all levels, uh, one good thing about the pandemic and the lockdown is it exposed the roaches. It exposed these horrific people that run the big cities. Though I mean, who knew who Lori Lightfoot was before? So they get exposed and all, and the school board members, I mean, people didn't really know that these petty tyrants are out there. My son sent me a uh, a great video yesterday about uh, this guy went undercover uh, to uh, film at his voting, at his polling place um, in New York. And uh, just when you just see these, these are, and these are volunteer poll workers and security guards, the, the, the tyrants, I mean, they were just, you know, so full of themselves. They're volunteer poll workers. And uh, it just because he was, they didn't want him filming. And of course, why? What, what do you have to hide? Aren't you proud of this great democracy? We're told that we have this, you know, the, the greatest democracy in the world. Wouldn't you want the, the world to see how great it is? Obviously, you, uh, obviously, it certainly looks like trying to hide. It's the same way when, when uh, you know, we, uh, the government uh, withholds anything on grounds of national security. What, what does that mean? I mean, that's it certainly looks as if you're trying to hold some. So that's why at this point, because, you know, I don't want to get us thrown off all social media. When I talk about the election, 
all I can say, the, the, the first thing you have to say is proving fraud is, you know, it, we showed in 2020 was, uh, was difficult because the standard's impossible. And of course, they're not going to accept because again, you're trying, you're trying to prove fraud to those who are committing the fraud. You know, somebody said the other day, you know, how, how do you, how do you beat election fraud when you can't get elected because of the fraud? And that's, you know, that's, that's the question asked at this point. That's why I'm with Vince. And, uh, you know, the, the idea I think is to, to build local communities. Now, how do we do that? I don't know. We've got, uh, it's not, uh, it's not the easiest thing to do. Because first of all, and you have to also, you have to, how many people can you get to do it? And, you know, I had my, uh, John Bush that was on, uh, few weeks back that the events I know was very impressed with is, is trying to do that. So there are people out there that are trying to do it, but uh, we do, we need to unplug. I mean, because at this point, there's so many of us that would like to say, you know, at this point now, of course, you know, I, I want my social security because I paid into it. But uh, other than that, uh, you know, there, and that's my money getting back. It's not an entitlement. Um, I, I don't, I have no other reason at this point. Why would you support the government? That's why my uh, guard Goldsmith and my other friends that are anarchists or voluntarists, I have no argument with them anymore because the system, uh, the, the authorities are corrupt at every level and they don't deserve respect. So what are we getting out of the money that they're extorting from us? What are we getting for it? Uh, infrastructure. <laughs> we have third world infrastructure. It hasn't been upgraded in 60 years. Now, maybe, okay, well, maybe they're getting rid of some racist roads, so that'll help. And uh, that'll help traffic and, uh, you know, and, and give the ambiance of a first world country, right? But um, so you have that. Representation, political representation? Uh, what political representation? I mean, when you have, you know, what, 2008, you had 98% of people in virtually every poll opposing the bank or bailout, and every leader in both parties supported it, both your presidential choices did. It's not representation. We have taxation without representation, obviously. And uh, so, again, what are we getting back for? Police? If you listen to the first hour, and I, I, I could have lots of guests on about that. Police corruption is very real. The policing for profit system, and that's at the heart of it, where they can confiscate your property through uh, asset forfeiture. No one talks about it. Sandy Kent, Donald Trump loves it, by the way. And uh, so did William Sessions, his first uh, attorney general. Um, that's, you know, it's uh, police. I believe that I, I would, I know I would, I would certainly be willing to get to, to just abolish the police uh, rather than have to pay. Because I, I think we have much, you have a much greater chance of being harassed by the police than you do being helped by them at this point. So, uh, so that's that. And, and, uh, you know, what else? I mean, okay. Firefighters. I mean, there's, Okay, there's a very minuscule chance you might need them if you have a very minuscule chance. I don't know. Is, is that worth paying? Uh, just look at some of the retired fire chiefs' salaries that we're paying in pensions, six figures. Same thing with uh, police chiefs. This is, and people don't realize that, that you, you talk about entitlements, that's out there. And people who are paying them are forced to pay it, even though almost all of us in the private sector now don't have private pensions anymore. So you don't have pensions, but you're, uh, you're uh, you're expected to 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 make sure that they continue to be uh, retired in style. We had a, a, a I think it was John Blasingor who comments on the show a lot 
uh, in the chat room talked about his teacher, his wife, I believe, is a teacher that has a six-figure salary is in retirement. Just insane. And uh, let's see, we get to, liberals have morphed into a pronoun enforcement transgressive. That's the way to get it. Beautiful. And there's my friend Rhonda Tate. Oh, she's over in, oh, you got a different picture there. Cool. In YouTube. Good to see you, Rhonda. He's right. Cops are not in a hurry to get to you. No, and that's, you know, what, and even, even if they were great and they were honest, that they weren't corrupt, what are the odds that they're going to be able to, they're going to be there when you're, you're being robbed or whatever? I mean, very unlikely, right? And, uh, and they certainly don't seem to stop any of that in where they should be stationed in bad neighborhoods. I mean, the crime. So, yeah, I don't think that, uh, and look at the legal system. What are we paying for there? You just heard an hour what what woman what woman's one woman is going through on her son, especially uh, prosecutors that are, are, care so little about justice. They will go to the lengths of impersonating somebody to harass a mother on social media. That oh, we're paying that guy's salary. I'm sure it's a six figure salary, and he'll have a lucrative pension. Do I mean? And that's all over the country. Judges, judges like the one that uh, Dr. Simone Gold. Uh, got hauled before, who uh, was obviously probably not feeling great about the fact that she turned him down for a date in law school, and yet he didn't recuse himself and got to preside over her trial. Those kind of people were, I mean, look at the, Amy Berman Jackson, the, the, the judge in the Roger Stone trial that let the, the lead juror make comments on social media against uh, Stone during his trial. And it didn't get rid of the juror and said it wasn't a conflict. I mean, this is, you know, that, that kind of stuff didn't used to be allowed in the trial of a serial killer. This is the stuff, we, you know, we uh, that we we have to acknowledge. And all this, again, our money is paying for all of this. So what are we, what are we getting? And I, I point this out all the time. The conservative and liberal debate is liberals are, we need, you know, we need safety net programs. And need, we need all this stuff. Okay. And I agree. We, we need some kind of safety net because with the American family dysfunction, there's a whole hell of a lot of people that are just going to have half the country would be, uh, uh, you know, sit out there crapping on the street and living in tents. Uh, so, and again, that's family dysfunction. That's a societal thing and a cultural thing, but it's part of the decadent culture that's promoted this stuff for a long time. The chickens are coming home to roost. So um, with that, you know, you, you, you need to have, the liberals say you got to have okay. What well, your great programs? Okay, so the, and the other side of the conservatives, oh, big government, big government doesn't do that. But nobody talks about okay. What is the cost factor here? We're paying for a socialist, socialist nanny state, cradle the grave nanny state. That we pay enough taxes for that, so we should theoretically have a system that provides the services that say France does, where you have a baby there and they send. Uh, they send people out to. They send a, 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 people from the government out to do your laundry and help you change diapers. And I think you get like a year off of the pay, both the mother and the father. I'm not suggesting we do that, but we pay enough taxes that we could do that. Uh, you have, uh, and of course, you have national health care. And if you if you if you've seen our horrendous medical industrial compact complex, nothing worse. There's nothing you people can you know. They can promote all the conservatives and say, oh, you got to wait. No, no, there's no other system. I've talked to lots of people in Canada and England, France, world of difference. Our system sucks. It's horrible. It's as bad as it gets. So, again, but we pay more taxes in for health care than those systems do, and they have a one-payer system, and the government actually runs it. So what are we getting? Again, bang for the buck. 
you're paying for this stuff and you're not getting. So we get no services there. Again, infrastructure, get nothing. Our roads are not being repaired. Our bridges are not being repaired. Our power grids are shameful. They have, again, haven't been updated in forever. So you have a strong win and they go out. These are the things you're supposed to get in return, especially when you're paying the taxes we have. So we have a socialist. We pay for a socialist a nanny state and we get in return a bare bones a libertarian state that pro that provides that that'd be you know it'd be great to uh you know to if we paid those kind of taxes okay we might say okay let's you know let's 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 you know we don't deserve uh you know we, we we don't pay enough we don't want that we don't want big government okay but we do pay for it and that's uh again we need to try to um <laughs> and Vince is saying, Rhonda, help me. Help me, Rhonda. That's right. I'm, I'm sure Rhonda Tate has heard that a lot. Help me, Rhonda. It's a great Beach Boys song. Uh, Wise Wolf doesn't want to crave, crave, cradle the grave. Nanny State, I want private associations and the freedom. Yeah, I'm, I'm saying, but the problem is we're paying for it. So the systems, we, I, don't, I don't want that. But I think that you, I get the sense from talking to people in France and everything that that, that country runs much more efficiently. The government runs more efficiently. Monstrosity. We have we have a we have an amalgamation because we have lots of socialist programs and there. I mean, I don't know how those programs are run in other countries, but I know here. I mean, from dealing with my brother and and other family members, my niece and everything, where I've tried to try to circumvent these uh, these slew of agencies. It's impossible. I mean, you, you have to, it's a full-time job just trying to contact people and being routed around everything. And But every one of those people is getting paid a good salary and has great benefits. And we're all going to be financing their lucrative retirements. Again, people don't think that. But what's the alternative? Let, let's say that um, you got a president, Ron Paul, in there, and he was allowed to abolish uh, all the unnecessary government agencies, which would be pretty much all of them, right? I mean, you know, how many would be left? Uh, what would that do to the unemployment rate? I mean, all those people who are not qualified to do anything else except, you know, be inefficient and incompetent government workers, uh, you know, th then what will happen? I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, so, so th we need to think that thing. we've created really a monstrosity and uh, trying to solve it is not going to be any, uh, easy. Uh, Eric Hogan said he's trying to build autism groups to help the autistics be independent and prosperous that disability payments. Well, you know, and that's, and that's another thing. Uh, autism was unknown 50 years ago. Uh, the, the, the word autism wasn't in the vernacular. I, I almost no one had heard of it. It's very, very rare. And obviously, you know, Alex Jones and others have talked about how, how the, uh, the, the amount of the, the numbers of autistic numbers increased, dramatically. So now you have the autistic scale with Asperger's and all this stuff, tons and tons of people out there. And uh, some of them, if, if it's, if they're on the scale, and I know people whose children are, are, are far along the autistic scale, they really can't work. They can't provide for themselves. So what do you do? You know, it's, and, and again, with, with the option should be families, but we have a dysfunctional country, dysfunctional families everywhere. And they're not willing to do that. And that was before Trump and before the, the pandemic, before COVID divided us even further. So now you have, if you're on the wrong side of a woke person with that, uh, you know, that, that what, you know, what are you going to do? Uh, 
Why is White Wolf says in France the average person has a moped to wonder if I, well, look, I don't know, but I know my friend uh, Nick Mancuso, great actor. Look him up on IMDb. He found me. Uh, apparently, he read Hidden History or something and, and loved it. So uh, uh, we become friends. He's been on my show several times, a real Renaissance man. He told me he was living in Paris and he said, Look, you know, there's no different. There's, 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 you can't even imagine the difference between living here and living in a city in the United States. He said, when you're in, when I'm in Paris, I know, I know it's a first world country. Uh, my friend Cynthia McKinney, the ex-congresswoman, when she was driving across, um, she took a trip across where she drove across France a few years back. And she reported that she had driven the entire, when she had driven the entirety of the country, she had not encountered a single pothole. So apparently they're spending their socialist dollars on something, you know, and I'm not saying that we do that, but it's a cost. It's a, it, it's a, um, is a cost, you know, it is a, a cost return for services here. We pay the cost and we get no services in, in return. Again, who, who, I, I don't know. I used to say the public library still support public library, but they've they've cut back hours there. Uh, they, you know, they don't, ex they're not exactly uh, giving you the greatest uh, variety. They have, they've had a few of my books. I mean, all my books are in some libraries, but uh, my own library system here has only had a couple of my books and you know, I live in the area. So uh, it's, uh, again, is there anything that we're getting? We're not getting bang for the buck. And that's the, uh, right. Well, it says Paris is subsidized by the rest. Well, maybe so. I mean, you know, certainly, uh, and again, I know nothing. That's why I don't I don't talk about too much about what happens in other countries because I concentrate. So um, I'm looking over. It looks like someone will come over to here, Tommy. Throw the bums out. Uh, Duluth Hop says. Uh, um, Best sign, the idea to carry over the pedestrian bridge at rush hour. <laughs> Mind if I steal it, Don? Just absolutely. Throw them on the Later, we've talked about throwing uh, those out for a long time. But um, let's see. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if Raybo is talking about my connection or what. But again, I apologize if there's any connection problems. And I really don't know why. Nothing's different. But uh there's John Blasco. There he is. We spent nine trillion on a 9/11 lie and the lie of WMBs. Absolutely, and you know that's. And there you go. There's uh, probably the most egregious example of money not being put to use. We don't know how many trillions have been spent on the military-industrial complex over the years. Uh, we've we've got this the Pentagon, the, the biggest, you know. Uh, military um, building, whatever that's ever been built, right? And and yet, on 9 we're supposed to believe that uh, that three planes threw around an aerospace for almost an hour and a half, the last one heading right for the heart of that, of that defense steps, and they did nothing. They didn't respond at all. If they did anything, they shot down the plane in, in Pennsylvania, Shanksville, and lied about it. So, at that point, again, if we had real representatives, where were the liberal Democrats supposedly that, well, even then they weren't, they were not complaining about the Pentagon anymore, but they used to many, many years ago talk about cutting defense budget. But um, 
which of course Republicans never wanted to, the big government people, the anti-big government people. But obviously people should say, wait a minute, you know, if, even if you're not even going to go into the 9-11 lie and how obviously it was an inside job, uh, well, let's first look at, okay, what, what was the response? Why did, and, and why, how can we still have the controversy over what hit the Pentagon? Because none of your hundreds of security cameras, somehow none of them were working or none of them captured what hit it conveniently. And you confiscated the, uh, the camera from the, uh, the Doubletree Hotel across the street and from the Sitco gas station. And uh, yeah, so we've, we still don't know. But it's, um, and then you have the intelligence agents, the CIA, the FBI, which uh, I guess Republicans don't want to abolish it anymore. You know, let's say they need to raid uh, Trump's Mar-a-Lago estate again, and maybe they'll want to abolish it. I don't know. It seems to me that's the uh, that's the uh, the only thing that will get uh, people to want to abolish the FBI. But certainly, what purpose have any of them served? So again, what are what are we getting in return? The FBI at this point, especially with the FBI going to uh, people that were you know like tangentially uh, connected to uh, January six, coming to their door, terrorizing their childrens. You know, it's. Um, White Wolf says, yeah, 9-11 was the excuse for a party state. And it was. And that's why I, I, you hear me talk about America 1.0 and America 2.0 a lot. And uh, I basically distinguish, uh, to me, the dividing line is pro pretty much 9-11. I think that we became, we morphed into America 2.0 after 9-11. So if you want to know where I draw the line and, uh, you know, I, I would say that's what it is. I have a Doug Waters is obviously a Frank Capra fan. He says America's become Pottersville from its wonderful life. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I talk about uh, Capra's films a lot. Uh, I think they're very important. They had a huge impact on me, on my thinking. But uh, we, yeah, it's like the Mr. Potters of the world won. And uh, so that's why, you know, I, I just, I get especially disillusioned after an election, especially this one. I mean, I didn't expect anything different to happen, although I said I thought they would throw the Republicans more of a crumb. I thought that they would, you know, get, let them at least take the House by a good majority. And uh, but, you know, to do this where, you know, it was even a doubt maybe they were going to get the House. <laughs> Vince says he remembers when Reagan ran on trying to stop the U.S. budget from going over one trade. Yeah, what did Ray Reagan spent just incredible amount of money during uh, during his uh, eight years in office, while not cutting a single even sub agency of the government, and that's uh, you know think about that. It's you know this is the big government guy, but again, just like Trump, you know the people that worship Reagan and they still do. They and I I published his real record in Hidden History, and I'll have more in Hidden History three, but. Uh, you know, so many bad things happened under Trump, under Reagan. Reagan's the one that that opened the bar forever in terms of illegal immigration. He had a chance to do back then. You had a chance to do something about it, and uh, he didn't. In 1986, he capitulated. Of course, the Republicans made the same excuse they made for Trump. Well, the Democrats fooled him. Yeah. Well, how come you? How come? How come Republicans always get fooled? It was pretty stupid, huh? <laughs> and. Uh, he opened the door. He granted amnesty to however many million were here at that time. They could bring all their family members in, and the rest is history. So really, at that point, uh, we lost the battle. And that, but that's why you know Trump was a day late and a dollar short even talking about uh, 
immigration. But uh, he was our absolute ass chance. And now, you know, he, he obviously turned out to be insincere. I think he was Trumpenstein, the Trumpenstein project. But that was our last hope. The last chance for you to maybe get something out of uh, the electoral process would would have been Trump. And for whatever reason he won, you know, they, obviously they wanted him to win or they wouldn't have let him win. But uh, that should have been a, a sign, a signal that he wasn't going to do anything. But uh, he had a chance. He, he had a chance to maybe stop things. If he if he had, you know, really done what he said, if he had closed the border, he'd signed the executive order stopping uh, birthright citizenship Ended the visa work, foreign visa work programs, stopped sanctuary cities. Uh, he, he alluded to putting troops along the border, uh, which that's what you have to do. Bring him back from some of the 150 countries around the world they're nonsensically still stationed in. And actually have him serve a constitutional purpose by protecting the border from a real invasion. Not Ukraine's border, but our own border. And uh, he didn't do any of it, unfortunately. So that's why we're in the situation we're in now where you have the unbelievable, you know, the unbelievability of watching uh, those, you know, I don't know how many thousands are crossing the border every month, but it's, it's unbelievable. It's just, it's just an open, it's just, just nonstop. If the turnstile is open, it's like they're going to attend a concert. How are you going to get those people out? The only way you can ever get them out, uh, even the deportation, it's going to be hard. It's going to be, it would be hard. Nobody's going to do it anyhow. But, you know, if, if you if ICE served a purpose, and I said this before, why are we paying ICE? If ICE served a purpose, you know, we all know where to go. Hey, you know, send send the boys down to Home Depot. You'll find a lot of people there and you ask them for their papers. They'll start self-deporting. And you cover, you, you, you connect, you make all government benefits contingent on your immigration status. You'll see the self-deportations. You make it to the point comfortable from the beer. That's what you do. But you know, unfortunately, nobody seems to want to do that. Tony, there. I'm here, Don. It was a great show. I was just here to uh, make sure that you knew I could stop the stream when you're ready to close out, sir. Great show. I. Yeah. You were breaking so up. Again next week, same bat time, same mention. Yeah, I don't know why I'm breaking up. I don't know. Now, thanks everybody for listening.